Welcome to the Real View podcast, where Ohio realtors connect you to innovators and influencers, keeping you with the real view of real estate. Whether you're a broker, agent, first time home buyer, industry leader, or just happen to stumble upon our podcast today, you can expect to hear tips, tools, tricks, interesting information, and so much more from the experts in Ohio's real estate game. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the Real View Podcast. I'm your host, Allison Wiley. With me today is two very special women, Katie Johnson, who is the General Counsel and Chief Member Experience Officer at the National Association of Realtors, aka NAR. And joining me today as co-host, she is no stranger to this podcast. She has joined us on episodes before. We're so happy. I am so happy to have her with me co-hosting this episode today. Peg Rittenauer, Vice President of Legal Services at Ohio Realtors. Ladies, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Allison. Yeah. Thanks, Allison. Looking forward to it. Yeah. So we have a jam-packed episode, and I know we usually ask our real view question. And Katie, I'm sorry you won't have the opportunity for you to answer this today, but that just means we'll have to have you on again and, and get your answer to the real view question at another time. But we really want to capitalize on our time here on this episode today because we have a lot to go over. We're going to dive into some of this Department of Justice stuff that's been going on. But um, before we get started with that, let's begin with some some of the antitrust law and class actions that are um, going on. So Katie, fill us in a little bit about all that's been going on in that regard. Great. Yeah. Thank you, Allison. Hello, Ohio Realtors. There is a lot going on in the legal world. So I appreciate you inviting me to your program and I appreciate your time listening to this program because I think there's a lot that our members need to know and there's actually some stuff they can do to help. So I hope they stay to the end and hear how they can help us prevail. So the class action lawsuits, there are three, currently three class action antitrust lawsuits that NAR and four corporate defendants are defending. So NAR, Remax, Berkshire Hathaway Home Services, Keller Williams, and Realogy are all defendants in these three class action lawsuits. And in some, the class action attorneys are alleging that commissions being paid today by sellers are too high and the quality of brokerage services being delivered are too low. Two of the class action lawsuits are uh, purporting to represent sellers who have allegedly paid artificially fixed and inflated commissions because our NAR MLS rule called the participation rule in MLSs, where the listing broker offers to compensate the buyer's representative who brings the ready, willing, and enabled buyer to close the transaction. Um, that is that rule as is, is as old as time, as old as the multiple listing service has been in existence. And yet these class action attorneys are arguing that it has led to fixed prices for a number of reasons. And I'll just mention a couple. One, they say that buyer's representatives don't have a role in the transaction anymore. They allege that because of the internet, the buyer's role is diminished or disappeared, and therefore they should not be getting compensated for their services related to a transaction. They allege that our members are deceiving consumers by advertising that their services are free their brokerage services are free. And they allege that the American real estate system must be anti-competitive because foreign markets that don't have a multiple listing service 
allegedly have lower lower commissions. So these lawsuits are wrong on the facts, wrong on the economics, wrong on the law. They encouraged a copycat lawsuit, the third one, which is purporting to represent a class of buyers who didn't actually pay for the commissions, but they are alleging that they paid inflated home prices because the seller is paying the commission. So we are actively defending all of those lawsuits. I know we're going to talk about them more, but I will say that in terms of real view, it occurred to me when you when you said that, that I do have a real view to share and it might put yes. this into perspective. And that's the first hearing at the first case, you know, for the first case, it's called Merle in Illinois. The first hearing I went to court to see the judge and, and see what was happening. And as I said, there are five defendants. So you can imagine that the five defendants have multiple outside counsels representing them. So between us five defendants, we have at least 10 people on our side before the court in this courtroom. And then there are nine class action law firms suing in these cases, nine class action law firms that think that they can get a piece of a pie at the end of this. So you can imagine how many attorneys are there. So my real view, I actually took a picture of it on the first day of the hearing. My real view was this overcrowded overcrowded courtroom with attorneys all buying, being there to challenge and defend the real estate industry. Wow. Wow. That probably was a little overwhelming, but a little bit powerful, probably at the same time. I can only imagine, you know, what that looks like. I would love to see the picture too. You'll have to shoot that Absolutely. over. Absolutely. I'll send and, it to you. Uh, how cool that there was that many people, you know, involved in the issues that, you know, we were there to talk about that day. Well, it illustrates the magnitude. Yeah. Katie, why do you think that the plaintiffs chose those, I think it was four franchisor defendants, Remax and, and et cetera? I mean, did they think there's actually some evidence of some actual conspiracy between NAR and, and those entities? I don't. I, I don't know why they chose them. I don't think there's any logical reason for choosing those four companies. Um, they certainly are not differently situated than all of our members. So I, I am sorry to say to them, and I've said it many times, I feel like they just drew the short straw or very unlucky to have been targeted amongst all the options out there. You know, why they're even in it is because the plaintiffs are alleging that their involvement in NAR as a trade association has somehow led to the improper promulgation or enforcement of the rule. But that's nonsense because, you know, trade associations exist in all industries um, and have the lawful right to uh, convene competitors in order to enhance the industry and to serve consumers. And that's exactly what every one of our members does and certainly doesn't shouldn't put any any particular company at risk. And I know you filed motions to dismiss NAR did, and I assume the other defendants did as well. Can you just give our audience an update on, on where those cases stand today? Yeah, sure. So the first two cases I mentioned are seller are purporting to represent a class of sellers. One was filed in Illinois. One was filed in Missouri. We promptly filed motions to dismiss in both of those cases in 2019, and those motions were denied. Uh, that is not a reflection on our ultimate ability to prevail here. It is hard to win at the motions to dismiss phase because there are the judge is ordered at that stage to take everything the plaintiff says as true and then determine whether or not a claim has been alleged. 
And unfortunately, the judges allowed this case to proceed past the motion dismiss phase. So in those two cases, we have been in discovery for the last couple of years, and we are currently approaching class certification stage, meaning the plaintiff's experts will be submitting briefs to say this is appropriate for class because all the transactions are the same and that you can pick a couple sellers to represent the experience of all sellers. And we will obviously be arguing the exact opposite that, you know, every transaction is unique. The evidence that we, you know, the discovery we've obtained so far even shows that the transactions are so different that it's not ripe for class certification. So that's the stage we're in right now arguing about class certification. In the third case, which is called leader, that's the name of the plaintiff in Illinois, they're representing buyers. We did file a motion to dismiss there. It's currently pending before the court. That case was filed earlier this year in 2021, and that's pending. And we feel very optimistic about prevailing there. And I won't get into the weeds here, but there is legal precedent in federal antitrust law that says an indirect purchaser of goods cannot prevail themselves of the antitrust law, only the direct purchasers. So we have argued that the complaint itself argues that buyers are not direct purchasers of the brokerage services at issue here because, as the plaintiffs allege, they're saying that they didn't pay the broker, they only paid a higher home price. So we're hoping that we can get that one dismissed. It's pending before the court currently. Yeah, I agree. I think that sounds very promising in NAR's favor. And I think that that's an important point to make too, Katie, is the fact that, you know, we did make those motions to be dismissed and they were not denied, but it doesn't mean that all hope is lost. I think that that's an important point to make and that there is still, you know, ways that we are battling this still on a daily basis. Absolutely. And so from a procedural standpoint, you know, winning at the class certification stage is also a major win. Because as I said, all those class action attorneys, why do you think that they're doing this? What do class action attorneys want? They want money. So if you don't have a class action, then the case becomes very unimportant to them. So that's one way. But then also there's a summary judgment opportunity where we can say, look, we've even if we, this is a class, we have all these facts and here's summary judgment. And if that doesn't prevail, then there's a trial. So there, there's lots of opportunities still for us to prevail in these matters. Yeah, that's great. Great to hear. And I'm sure great uh, for our members to hear as well. So let's dive into kind of the big topic here today, which is this Department of Justice case that began a year, year or two ago. Correct me, please, if, if I'm wrong, surrounding some of these brokerage commissions and the MLS system. So our members may not be aware of everything that's been going on with this, certainly probably not to the extent that you'll share with us today, but could you provide a little bit of information just on this case? What do our members need to know? Because there's major implications to our industry. Yes, absolutely. So while we feel like the class action antitrust lawsuits are wrong on the facts, wrong on the economics and wrong on the law, it is unfortunate that they have garnered the attention of the Department of Justice. So what has happened is that last November in 2020, November 2020, we reached an agreement with the Department of Justice where they agreed to close their investigation into NAR's rules and policies regarding the MLS in exchange for NAR changing or implementing four rules. So when we reached that agreement, NAR did push out this information far and wide to let them know that 
potentially, you know, when this agreement, this settlement becomes final, we'd have to make these four rule changes. And what were they? First, we agreed to promulgate a rule that would require multiple listing services to display the offers of compensation in consumer-facing displays. So that field would no longer be confidential. The second rule was to prohibit our members from filtering listings based on the offer of compensation. So as to ensure that they were providing their consumers with all the properties that fit their consumer desires and regardless of what the offer of compensation is. Third, we agreed to promulgate a rule that would prohibit members from advertising their brokerage services as free. Of course, we already think we have a rule like that. It's called Article 12, SOP 12.1, I believe, that says, you know, you cannot advertise your services as free if you're getting paid from another source, which is the case of buyer brokerage services. But potentially that isn't clear enough. So we did agree to clean it up and make it super clear that, you know, members cannot advertise their brokerage services as free. And then fourth, promulgating a rule that would allow temporary lockbox key access to non-members. So the term of justice said, if you do those four things, we'll close the investigation. We said, okay, we'll do it. Um, And in order to do that with the Department of Justice, this is everybody who settles with the Department of Justice has to follow this process where you enter the settlement decree with the court and the court has to finalize it. There's an opportunity for members of the public to make comments. And in that process, we agreed that we would share the specific rule language with the DOJ and we would come to some agreement and then have the board of directors approve it. We anticipated that that would happen in January and then February and then March, and then April, and then May, and the Department of Justice has never got back to us. So we just waited and waited and waited for the Department of Justice. I mean, we tapped them and said, hey, remember us, like, let's close the loop here. We have a settlement agreement. We didn't hear anything substantive until last month when in July, they very suddenly and shockingly reneged on the deal. First time in history that we, you know, through our research and antitrust matters, First time in history that they have gone back on a consent decree that they agreed to. This episode of The Real View is brought to you by the Ohio Association of Community Colleges. Ohio's network of community colleges provides accessible training that accommodates the busy lifestyles of aspiring real estate professionals at half the price of a traditional university. With convenient locations in every part of the state, as well as online options, Ohio's community colleges are your smart choice for pre-licensing education. For more details or to start the journey to a real estate career, visit the education page at ohiorealtors.org and then click on the pre-licensed course locations. That was going to be one of my questions just, and I know we've said, and I've read up on, you know, this case and everything, and it's as unprecedented, unprecedented, unprecedented. And we've got sort of familiar with that word. And I'm like, how unprecedented is this? And now you saying that this is the first time ever in history, this has happened. That's a pretty big deal. I mean, these are crazy times and the Department of Justice is understandably very reserved in their, you know, they don't, tell us, reveal their strategy or their thinking or their desires even. So I can't say exactly what's motivating this, but as you read the papers, the administration change 
has caused a lot of the undoing of the prior administration at the Department of Justice. So we think maybe we're a victim of that a little bit, but who knows? And the point is, is that no, never have they reneged on a deal that the department head has agreed to. Wow, that's that's crazy. So I'm sure that that was a huge kind of shock to you all and something unprecedented for you as well, to use that that word again. So how close were we to working out the details? Because it sounds like we were pretty close. You know, we reached the settlement and it it was almost going to happen. And then just kind of that waiting period happened. How close were we? And then, you know, what can we expect moving forward? Well, I mean, again, because of the the historical nature of this process, we thought we were at the finish line because entering the decree with the court was the formal finalization of the settlement. So we were very close to that point. Where are we now? We are really hoping that the DOJ wants to continue these good faith negotiations to get back to the agreement we had. We think that we addressed the the issues and concerns based on the prior negotiation and investigation. And therefore, we should be able to rely on their word that we have a a settlement agreement. Um, And if that's not the case, maybe they can express to us what they want or need. So we are trying to still keep those really open lines of communication with the DOJ, hoping that we can make some progress. As for the rules, we just can't wait for the DOJ. So we're going to send the the rules to the MLS Emerging Issues Advisory Board, which your listeners may know is a subcommittee of the MLS committee, and they'll decide if if they if they think that it's in the the consumer's best interest to move those forward. So, Katie, you know, when you looked at the the withdrawal, they indicated that it was without prejudice. And so some of our members I think haven't understood what that meant. So I'll let you answer that kind of textbook legal question that we all remember from probably first year. You and I remember from first year law school. (laughs) Yeah. And actually, that brings up a good point. Like, I don't think their withdrawal has even become final, which just shows that it's all topsy-turvy. So they moved to withdraw their consent decree without prejudice, which without prejudice means, you know, reserving the ability to try again, reserving the ability to get back in there (laughs) and asking the court to allow that as well, which is fine by us because we want to get back in there. We want to go, we want to go back to where we were, let alone, you know, get back into the settlement mode if they have other ideas on how that happens. So that part is fine by us in terms of the court, but, you know, the court actually has to agree and grant their motion. And as far as I'm concerned uh, or aware, they've not yet done that, which is curious. Okay, great. Well, that's good for our members to understand procedurally. Yeah. I mean, it could be a formality, but everything in our world is is pending, I guess, these days. Kind of constantly living in that state of limbo, which I think is reflective of also <laughs> the world around us these days. It does feel like everything is is constantly fluid and we have to be ready to switch at very short notice. And that was going to be my other question too, is is do you have any indication of kind of what was missing in that first settlement that they would might want to see now in this new negotiation? But it sounds like there hasn't really been much information about, you know, how we can how we can get there again moving forward. 
Right. They haven't revealed that to us yet. I hope they do. I hope we can reach a, a resolution soon. But I did want to make sure that I, I hit on the ask of your members because yeah. all of this is really important. Maybe even interesting if people are interested in, in legal battles, but it, it has a direct impact on the bottom line and the future of real estate services in the United States. You know, I don't mean to sound uh, over dramatic, but I think that's just a very factual statement. And so while they may not be helping us win in the courtroom, they can certainly help us win in the court of public opinion. And that's where we need everybody to pitch in from, you know, associations to every single member. We need you to start talking about your realtor value proposition early and often with consumers and speak so clearly you cannot be misunderstood. You know, make sure consumers know exactly what services you provide, what expectations they can have of you and how you're going to get paid. How exactly does this compensation thing work? And do it in writing. Use a buyer representation agreement, please. And put forth, you know, your services in that agreement and put forth your expectations for getting paid. You're a professional. You deserve to get paid for your services. So let the recipient of your services, the buyer, know how that works. So that, that's one way of many ways you can start helping us, you know, using buyer representation agreements, talking with consumers about your value online, in your conversations, at the dinner table, also understanding the broker cooperative. Like you are all members of the multiple listing service. It is a broker cooperative, meaning it is a, a group of brokers only who are agreeing to share their inventory and information in exchange for helping close a transaction. They are not adversaries, but almost, you know, collaborators in that effort to bring buyers and sellers together. Nobody wins unless everybody wins. You know, there's no loser in a sale of the home. It's only a win-win transaction. And if you can't get to a win-win, then nobody wins because the sale doesn't go forward. So understanding how your broker cooperative works and why the multiple listing service benefits buyers and sellers is key to winning the public opinion. And that's where I think these class action attorneys are really misguided. They think there, there is a perception of consumers not valuing realtors and not definitely not understanding the multiple listing service. And if we could change that, I think that would go a very long way in ensuring, you know, the viability of the future of this industry. And, and so just last, you know, we have a lot of tools about for that on NAR.realtor. You know, I'll just direct all your members to NAR.realtor, search general member message, and you'll get talking points and infographics and everything to help you start these conversations. I think those are all uh, great bits of advice for our realtor members to take with them from listening to this episode. And like Katie mentioned, be clear about, about your services. Be clear about you, what you offer. We are realtors and we provide great services to our clients and we make home home happen and businesses happen and, and all of that good stuff every day. And you're right. We do need to do a better job at kind of sharing that information and, and really selling ourselves, you know, in addition to the properties that, that we're selling as well and being clear on exactly 
what our services provide, I think is a great bit of advice for our realtor members listening today. And I know we could keep going on probably for another hour with you, Katie. And this just proves to show, like I said, we'll have to have you on again to dive into more legal matters. But I think as far as today's show, we will wrap it up. And this has been so informative. I know for me personally, this has been great. You've done a wonderful job of explaining everything that's going on from the legal world to our members. So thank you for being with me today, Katie. Peg, thanks for co-hosting with me. You did a wonderful job from our Ohio Realtors side. It was great to have you on co-hosting with me as well. So thanks to both of you ladies for being here with me today. Thank you, Allison. Thank you, Peg. I really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, it was great. Thank you. And to all of our listeners, thank you guys for tuning in and we will see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to The Real View. That wraps up today's episode. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at ohiorealtors.org slash The Real View and on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Have questions, comments, or suggestions? We want to hear from you. Email us at podcast at ohiorealtors.org. We'll see you next time. This has been a Humble Pod production. Stay humble.